if any of you adults would like to try for that 10-foot mark, just let me know afterwards. There is a prize for anybody that hits it. All right. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15 and 16 this morning as we continue to look at the return of the King um, and His coming return. 15 and 16 are probably two of the more intimidating passages in all of Scripture as we look at the wrath of God and the justice of God. It's difficult sometimes for us to reconcile um, those two things when we think about the love of God as well. And yet, we see perfectly in Him all of these things. And so this morning, my prayer is is that we would be able to see these things together in the way that He desires us to, so that we may be able to respond to Him in the way that He desires us to. And so hopefully by now you found Revelation 15 and 16. If you are able, would you please stand with me that we would honor the reading of God's Word. It's a rather long passage, so as always, if you need to take a break in the middle, that is perfectly fine. But let's read this together. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, the glory and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl onto the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl onto the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. 
The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of beasts, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for the pain and for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, that it, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the world to assemble them for battle on the great day of, the God, of God Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peelings of thunder, and great earthquakes such as never been since the man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And, the, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and... Lord, as we read these words in chapters 15 and 16, Father, we are amazed, Lord, at your justice and your wrath. Lord, we are overwhelmed by its severity and by its completeness. Father, maybe we are even frightened this morning by what we read, and by the truth of what we read. Father, I pray that as we go through this morning, as we look at your word together, Father, that you would, you would establish in our hearts the truth of what you are saying and the truth of your justice and your wrath, that you would establish in our hearts the reality of these pages. But Lord, that you would also remind us of the incredible invitation of grace that you have given us. Lord, that we may see in your wrath the depths of your mercy towards us. Father, we ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I remember, I remember, like many of you, September 11th, 2001, almost like it was yesterday. I can remember sitting in Mrs. Williams' English class. It was my junior year of high school. Some of you are going, really? It was my junior year of high school, though, and and I can remember sitting there, and my best friend, one of my best friends from high school, Andy, was sitting next to me. I can remember Ryan was sitting catty corner. My, my desk was the one next to the door where the intercom was. And I can remember as we were getting ready to close up for that class during that period, the principal's voice came over the intercom, and it was an odd time for that to happen. 
But I can remember him telling us that something had happened in New York. And he told us to go to our homerooms and to stay there until further notice. We didn't know what was going on. So we got up, and I remember, oh, I remember walking down the hallway, and it was eerily quiet. Like normally time passing in, in Hannibal High School, when you're between classes, like everything reverberates off everything. I mean, it's one of the noisiest times you can imagine. But it was almost silent. And I can remember going up the stairs, and my homeroom was a room off of the library. And so I remember making my way there, and I, I walked through the threshold of the library. And normally, there was a TV behind the librarian's desk that was giving announcements and that sort of thing. But this morning, it was turned to the news. And I can remember standing behind the librarians, watching the second plane hit. Not knowing what to say. Not knowing what to believe. Felt like I was watching a movie. And I remember the only words that would come out of my mouth were, wow. And the librarian turned around and shooing me off into my room. And I'm sitting there with my fellow students and with our homeroom teacher just in dumbfoundedness, to maybe put it best. Numbness, sorrow, as we watch these horrific images again and again and again. I remember September 12th as well. September 12th was a day full of mixed emotions. There was sorrow and grief. There was anger. There were calls for justice and retribution. But there was a problem. We didn't know who to get justice on. There wasn't a nation that we could go after. It was kind of ambiguous. And even as the, the days and the months and even the years played out after that, and as we talked about success or we talked about people coming to justice, even in those moments, whether it was a country that we invaded or whether it was a person that had been captured or even killed, there was almost a sense of emptiness. It didn't feel like justice. It didn't feel complete. It didn't feel like enough. And there were still cries for more. Really, when we look at the, any justice system that humanity has to offer, it falls short. It falls far short. When we look at the justice of humanity towards those who break the law, even the best systems in the world aren't perfect. Some of them, we see an individual who is guilty go free. Sometimes we see an innocent person punished. Sometimes the punishment fits the crime, and sometimes it seems harsh and unusual. Even those who watch the death of someone who has killed their loved one often talk about the fact that there is an empty feeling. 
There's not completeness. It's not the end. And so when we talk about the justice of God, sometimes we have a hard time because we don't know what it is. We've never seen perfect justice. We've never seen complete justice. We've never seen in its perfection righteous wrath. And so we struggle when we see and come to chapters 15 and 16 and others. We struggle with them. We don't know what to make of them. This morning, my prayer is, is that we can explore this topic just a little bit. We're going to try to do what probably should take us years in about 20 minutes. But to take just a glimpse at the justice and the wrath of God this morning. As we read 15 and 16, one of the things that we understand is that the justice of God is perfect the justice of God is perfect. Unlike its human counterpoint, counter, um, it, it doesn't have error. In part, and mostly because the one who is doing the judging, the one who is pouring out the wrath, is the Holy One. He is the perfect one. We read in chapter 15, starting in verse 3, and they, those that have conquered the beast, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nation. Who will not fear, O Lord, to, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for, you are right, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then over in 16, verse 5, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and, what, and who was, for you have brought these just judgments. The one who carries out the judgment, the one who carries out justice, is the Holy One. It is by His character that we define good from evil. It is by His Word that we understand what is right and what is wrong. In Him there is found no deceit. In Him there is found no wrongdoing. And in Him there is no sin. He is perfect in all of His ways. To be holy is to be set apart. To be different and there is no better way to describe God in heaven than that. He is different from us in almost every way imaginable. And because He is Creator, and because He is good, because He is perfect, He is the rightful judge. Not only is the justice of God perfect because He is the Holy One, but in part it's perfect because he is able to distinguish between the just and the unjust perfectly. And His wrath, His justice, is poured out on the unjust alone. On the unjust alone. We see in 16 in particular that He pours out those who will not repent. 
In order to be one that needs repentance, then there has to be have been something that you need to repent for. You, there has to be an action that, ha- that has to have happened that needs forgiveness, that needs repentance. So these are the unjust that suffer the wrath and the justice of God. But he is able to distinguish perfectly. We talked earlier about one of the problems of human justice is that sometimes the innocent are the ones that receive the punishment and sometimes those that are guilty go free. That is not so in the will and the justice of God. Your deeds are recorded in the books of heaven. Every single one of them. There is not one thing that you have done or thought, whether it be in the open or whether it be in the secret, that God does not know. There is not one part of your heart that He has not investigated fully. The perfect, holy judge is also the all-knowing, all-present God. He knows all things. Revelation tells us that He has sealed His people. He has sealed His people. They bear His mark. And in the same way, those that have followed their own heart have their mark as well. He is the perfect judge. He is the one who can distinguish between the just and the unjust perfectly as well. And not only that, but His wrath is merited. His wrath is merited. Meaning there's a reason for it. It's not just that these people are bad. It's that they have done something to earn that. The Bible, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death is a deserved outcome for those who have sinned. Those who have done wrong. We see this in chapter 16. In verse 6 it says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. We go over to, if you skip back with me just a little bit, to chapter 9. At the end of chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They were not innocent. Murderers, sorcerers, the sexually immoral, and thefts, thieves. Not one is innocent. No, not one. You and I are included in the unjust at some point in our lives. We have all done something. We have all rejected the kingship of God at some point in our life. And to reject Him, to be a traitor to the Most High God, is to deserve death. 
and to deserve it eternal. Our own constitution lines out, and we've talked about this before and again, but our own constitution lines out what traitors, what happens to traitors. It's a given. Not only in our country, but in countries around the world from the beginning of time, a traitor is one deserving of death. How much more than when we become traitors to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You may say, well, Brian, I've, I've never murdered. I've never done anything. I've never stolen anything. I've never been sexually immoral. I've, I've never been a sorcerer. I've never killed a saint. No, but you've been an idol worshiper at one point or another. Anytime we put something on the throne of our hearts and we say that's more important than Christ, we worship an idol. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes it's our desires. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's our possessions or our prestige. But all of us at one time or another have put something on the throne of our heart that should not be there. And in doing so, we have been found guilty. And the God of justice is perfect in His sentence and He is merited in His wrath. Not only is the justice of God perfect and merited, but the justice of God will be horrible. It will be horrible. Not in the sense that it's wrong. Sometimes we we get that sense when we use the word horrible. It's not horrible in the sense that it's wrong or undeserved. It will be horrible in the sense of its outcome. It will be horrible in the sense of just its sheer severity, which is the first point. His justice is severe. It is not light. We see in our culture, time and again, people making light of hell, people making light of God's judgment, making light of death even. It is no joking matter. When you read through Revelation, and especially when you read through 16, there is no laughing matter here. Whether it be boils or scorching sun, or whether it be water turned to blood so that thirst can never be quenched, whether it be hundred pound hailstones or earthquakes like we've never seen before, His justice is severe. His justice is total. It's all encompassing. It's complete. A fugitive may run from the law. An escaped convict may make it on the run for a time and may even be able to get away with the crime without serving the punishment. But friend, let's be clear. There is no escaping the justice of God. One day we will all give account. There will be no slipping by, hiding in the margins. This is the ever-present God, the all-knowing God that we speak of here. It is total. Not only that, but it's total in that it takes care of everything. You look at 
what it says in 16. We start with the bowl being poured out on earth, and then it's poured out on the water, and then it's poured out on the air. And in previous chapters, what we see is partial. In the seals, when the seals are broken, back in 6 and 8 and 9, back in that area, it's partial. All these things happen to a few people. And then the trumpets come and it's fractions. It's a third or a fourth of the earth or of the sea or whatever it may be. But here, when the bowls of God's wrath are poured out, it is everything. Peter tells us that the whole earth will melt away. It's severe, it's total, and it consumes. As I said just a moment ago, Peter tells us that the whole earth will melt away. Everything will be gone. All of the things that we see will vanish. All the things that we count as enjoyment will be disappear. Jesus tells us that at that moment that those that have turned from Him, those that have denied Him, that they will experience an eternal death. An eternal death that never ends. In a place of anguish and torment. God's justice is perfect. God's justice will be horrible. And God's justice is delayed for now. God's justice is delayed for now. Turn back with me to Peter, if you don't mind, just going a little bit to your left. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 through 13. We've read this actually in the beginning of our service not that long ago. Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the day the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." For this moment in time, God's justice is delayed. Now certainly, we want to qualify this in the sense that God certainly gives certain judgments here. There there are times that we see Him pour out parts of His judgment on individuals and, and people. But as a whole, the justice of God is delayed for now as He waits. He waits. He continues to show patience with humanity. Why? Because he has a desire. His desire is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That all should know him. That none should have to experience the wrath and the justice of God. So he waits. He gives us more time. And as he does, he doesn't do so quietly, but rather as he waits, he invites us to repentance. Come, all ye who are 
heavy burden. He invites as he waits to experience his grace, to experience his mercy, to experience joy, to experience freedom, to know what it means to walk with him and to be with him. He invites us to know eternity with him in a perfect place. He gives an invitation. And he not only has he given the invitation, but he has made it possible for you to accept the invitation. Just as it's impossible for us to accept an invitation where the requirement is there to be for you to be 10 feet tall, so too it would be impossible for us to accept an invitation where the requirement is perfection. And yet God has seen our state and He, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has made a way to count His righteousness on our account. So that when He looks at us, He does not see a single stain, but rather He sees the white robes of Christ. He invites you. He invites me to join Him. But He will not wait forever. He is, as a God of justice, also a God who acts. The gangster Al Capone once made famous the line, Do not mistake my kindness for weakness. For those who are unkind to me will not remember me as weak. Certainly, we don't want to compare God to a gangster this morning, but there is a point to be made there. Do not, ex- do not view God's patience as weakness, nor view it as inactivity or laziness. He is patient because He loves you. He is kind because He has a desire for you. But if you will reject the invitation, one day you will know His justice. We're not told when that day is. For some of us, it could be as soon as we walk into the parking lot. For some of us, it could be this evening. For some of us, it could be within the next year. For others, it could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the line. But we are not told when. All we know is that we are given grace for this moment to hear the invitation so that we do not have to experience His wrath. All of this points us to a Savior. The justice of God ultimately points us to our need for a Savior. You don't understand the grace and the love of God until you understand the justice and the the wrath of God. Until you grasp into grasp the best of your ability the justice and wrath of God, then you will never understand the depths of His grace and His mercy and His love. You will never understand our need. I think sometimes this is why we take our salvation so flippantly. Why we ignore it. Why we sometimes lose our joy over it. Because we forget what we have been saved from. 
I think sometimes it might be good for us to go back and read chapters 15 and 16 and remember just what it is that the wrath of God looks like. And that it should be ours. So that we might understand exactly what Christ did on the cross and what He desires to save us from. It should expose our need. It should also... It should also remind us of what Christ did on the cross. You'll remember uh, here in Revelation chapter 16, it says towards the end of that passage in verse 19 that God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. This is typically how the cup is viewed in Scripture is as the cup of wrath, the, the judgment of God on an individual or on a people. But you'll remember, if you read with us in our Gospels sermon series, that Jesus prays about a cup as well. When He's in the garden awaiting His arrest, He prays, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. But not My will, but Your will. And being the will of God, Jesus does indeed on the cross take the full cup of God's wrath for us and because he is God in the flesh and because he lived a perfect life he was able to do what we could not to take the wrath of God and to rise again the justice of God should remind us of what Christ did for us the depths of it the depths of his love the depths of His grace and mercy. Lastly, it should remind us that we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. You'll notice here that the individuals who go through this wrath, they make a decision. At least twice, in verse 9 and verse 11, it says that they did not repent of their deeds. Indeed, at the end of chapter 7, it says that they cursed God. They made a decision. We will not turn. And their decision comes with the ultimate consequence. It is eternal wrath of God. Eternal death. This morning, friend, you have a choice. If you've never placed your faith and trust in God, He invites you to know Him. He invites you to have a life as it was intended to be lived. He invites you to know freedom in Him. He invites you to know the assurance of heaven. If you're here and you've never done that, my guess is, is that you have been searching for something. And maybe this morning, as you hear these words, you understand that there is a just God and that we have done the unjust, that we have broken His law, that we are deserving of His wrath. And this morning for the first time, you hear the invitation of the Gospel. Come and know grace. It's an easy invitation to accept. We confess Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. We repent, which means that we just understand that we have done wrong before. We ask for forgiveness of that and we desire to follow Him the rest of our days. It's that simple. Just 
speak to him. If you need help with that, I'll be here. There are others that would gladly help you with that to see what that looks like. This morning, believer, you have a choice as well. We look in verse 15. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. The historian, a Jewish historian, tells us that we are to, when we read this verse, to be reminded of what the temple guard was about. There would be those that would be stationed at night to guard the temple from any that might intrude upon it and anybody that might do harm to it. And if they were found asleep at the job, they would be stripped of their clothing, it would be burned, and they would be shushed out. Shushed out. There we go. Shushed out of the temple. So that they would walk through the streets naked and humiliated. It's a reminder of what we see in Ezekiel when he says that if you, you who see and understand, if you do not sound the alarm, then the blood of the people is on your hands. Stay awake. Do the job that we've been given to do. I've shared this story before, and I'll, I'm just going to share it quickly because we're running out of time. But Many of you may know the magician's pen and teller. Big guy, little guy, little guy doesn't talk at all. Penn is an outspoken atheist. Very much so. But Penn shares in one of his video blogs an, an event that happened to him. He said after a show one night, they were shaking hands as they were leaving the stage, and a man came up to him in, with tears in his eyes, and he handed him, he said, I want you to know that I love you and that I'm praying for you. And he handed him, a New Testament, and a gospel track. Penn took the gifts, and he walked off stage, and he said, honestly, I knew what they were, and I laid them off to the side. I didn't give them another thought. He said, after all, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in that. He said, but I was moved by the man's compassion. He didn't come with great pride. He didn't come haughtily. He didn't come talking down to me. But rather, he came humbly in compassion to share with me the truth. Or at least, as Penn says, his truth. He says as he ends that blog, he says, this is, this is what astounded me and what, what continues to go through my brain. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about heaven. If you believe with all of your heart that there is a heaven and a hell and that all those who do not accept Christ will experience eternal damnation, eternal suffering, then how much do you have to hate an individual to not tell them? To not love them. To not serve them. Brothers and sisters, we have a choice to stay awake and to do the job that we have been given. To share the grace and the mercy of God and to warn others about His wrath. Maybe with it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a co-worker or an acquaintance to tell them of what God has done for you.
and what he can do for them. The wrath of God is serious stuff. But so is his grace. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe you need to come and you need to say, I have never given my life to him. I've never trusted him. I know that if I were to die this morning and stand before the throne of God, that the, pronunci- the pronunciation, the, the, the verdict would be guilty. Maybe this morning you just need as a believer to be reminded this morning of what he has saved you from so you may give thanks. Maybe this morning there's someone in your mind that you know you need to pray for and that you need to go to. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, this is, Lord, it is a serious topic. Lord, your wrath and your justice are weighty things. They're heavy things. And because of that, sometimes we we don't like to talk about them. We don't like to dwell upon them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would that you would settle them in our hearts. Lord, not that we would walk around gloomy. In fact, just the opposite, that we would be reminded because of your wrath and your justice what we've been saved from. That we would remember your grace and your mercy and that we would be the most joyous people that anyone's ever seen. Because we have freedom. Because we know you. Father, I pray if there's one here this morning that does not know you, that they would hear this message of justice and even of wrath and that they would desire to know you in repentance. Lord, I pray that you would not let them leave this place until they do that. Father, I pray that if there's a, that for those of us that are believers, Lord, that we would glorify your name for you are a just God You are a merciful God. And you have done that in our lives. Father, help us to be people that go out and tell others of that message. We pray this in your name. Amen.